So is there anybody or anything in your life that you know exactly what they're going to do no matter what? For me, it was my hunting dog, Aubrey. So I knew exactly what she was going to do all the time. It took a few years for us to get there. She passed away in July, so I'm breaking in a new hunting dog. But uh, my dog, Aubrey, knew what I expected, knew what I wanted, and I knew what she was going to do without exception. She knew what I was going to do pretty much, except she expected me to hit every bird I shot, and sometimes I miss. So that always surprised her. In, in our text today, uh, I see God as um, perhaps like a parent who is leaving their 17-year-old son at home for the, a weekend by himself for the first time. And, and you, the parent says, all right, son, we're leaving. Don't you have any parties? But they know for darn good and well, the boy's going to have a party. I think God is in exactly that boat as he's about to, to send the Jews into the promised land. And, and he's telling them a warning. And that's where our text comes from Deuteronomy. It's uh, the 12th chapter, verses 29 through 32. When the Lord our God has cut off before you the nations whom you are about to enter and dispossess them, when you have dispossessed them and live in their land, take care that you are not snared into imitating them after they have been destroyed before you. Do not inquire concerning their gods, saying, How did these nations worship their gods? I also want to do the same. You must not do the same for the Lord your God, because every abhorrent thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. They would even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. You must diligently observe everything that I command. You do not add to it or take anything from it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So they're about to enter the promised land. And notice, God doesn't say if this happens. He says, when I hand these lands over to you, do not be ensnared by their ways. God knew it was going to happen. In fact, this, this was a theme throughout the Old Testament. The Jews were constantly running off in pursuit of other gods with a little g. We, we, we read about in 1 Kings, Elijah, the sole prophet of God that is left, having the contest with God of our God, you know, the God, versus Baal. You remember that? The sacrifice? God won, by the way. And the people returned. This was a theme, and God knew this was going to be a problem. So much so that when, he, when they went into certain cities, God said to them, I want you to utterly destroy the people of the cities that you're taking in. Kill everything that breathes. Deuteronomy 20.16 talks about that. talks about a couple of times in Joshua. It's called the ban. 
And God knew that if there was any vestige of the old ways, that the Jews would be ensnared by them, that he would take them up. Something that they did on a pretty regular basis. And it's often said that we, as Christians, that, that we have to live in the world, but not to be of the world. I mean, like the example that Leanne gave. We have to be in the world, but we shouldn't get all mixed up in it. And we'll talk some more about what that might mean. We read in the book of Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love Romans 12. I mean, some of you may have a life verse. Um, I'm, I'm such a terrible guy. I need a whole life chapter, which is Romans 12. I love that. But Paul is telling us, do not be a part of the world. Don't do it. Now, when we talk about the world, there's three ways that we can talk about the world. We can talk about the world like the planet, right? And then we can talk about the world like all the people in the world. And the third way we talk about the world is what I would call a prevailing culture. That's the world. That's the world Paul is warning us about. That's the world God is telling the Jews not to get ensnared by. It's the world of the prevailing culture. And, and the truth of it is the prevailing culture here in America, maybe even Texas, or even the community of Humble, is a little different than it is everywhere else. Certainly, the, the prevailing culture of, uh, say, England is very different than us. And then you go to China and it becomes really, really different than us. But, but we have a prevailing culture here in America. And it's not always awesome. I mean, I hear the world calling me to stuff. The world tells me if I will buy this product, I will be good looking. If I buy this product, I'll be skinnier. If I buy this product, I'll be the handsomest guy in class. If I buy this product, it'll attract beautiful women to your side. If I buy this product, I'll be happy. Folks, we are bombarded with this message this message of materialism, this message of buy me now. And I might be, I might be the chief sinner in this one because I like stuff. I mean, I have five shotguns. 
My wife is like, why do you have five shotguns? I said, well, I have one for duck hunting, I have one for goose hunting, I have one for dove hunting, I have one for quail hunting, and I have one for just shooting, sporting clays and things. I have a half a dozen fly rods for all the same reasons, and I'm a handyman. I, I fix stuff around my house, I do projects, I work on my boat, and I have told this to my son and my son-in-law over and over and over again. It's the right tool for the right job. I have the right tool for just about every job. And if I don't have it, I will go out and I will get it. Because it is so much easier when you have the right tool. So I'm admitting to you all, I am the chief sinner in this whole I like stuff thing. And that's what the world is telling us. Buy more. More stuff. I mean, it's like, it's like he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, guess what? You can't take it with you. It all stays here when you move on. So the world is saying stuff, 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 and Jesus is saying, I am enough. I'm all you need. You don't need anything else but me. I mean, he even tells us, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. So what are you hearing the world call to you? We all hear different things. But I'll tell you one of the things that I see in the world that frightens me is this idea that if you think differently than me, then you're another. If you think differently, differently than me, then I can't be around you. I can't be associated with you. If you think differently than me, somehow you're stupid or ignorant or a demon or something. I mean, I, I hear that message so clearly from the world these days. I mean, we're on Facebook. We're unfriending people on Facebook who are thinking differently than us. You, you may have noticed that I don't have any social media presence. I was on Facebook for years and years and years. And I discovered that what, for my world and me, Mike Tyson, Facebook was sucking my soul. Amen. <laughs> that was me. And so I got off of Facebook, and guess what? I got an hour and a half a day back. <laughs> but... I didn't have this stuff being removed from me by the stuff I was reading and seeing on Facebook. Now listen, social media in and of itself is not bad. It's not evil. It's how it's used. So don't hear this as a sermon about social media is bad. It's not. I mean, we as a church use it as a very effective tool to get information out to you. So in and of itself, it's not bad. It's how it's used and how it affects us. So please don't go and tell your children, preacher says you got to get off of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. That's not the point. 
The point was, for me, that was a good thing. I don't know what it would be for you. But the world is telling us, if you think differently than me, then you're an other. And brothers and sisters, we can't act like that. We are followers of the Most High God, followers of Jesus Christ who died for the world. As a follower, it is our place to respect everyone. No matter what their opinion is, no matter how crazy we think it might be, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our place to be civil. It's our place to respect the rights of other people, to have different opinions from us. So let me make it real clear here. That's everyone. No one is worthy of God's grace. Not one person in this building is worthy of God's grace. Christ died for the world. That means everyone in the world. And all are worthy of respect. They may not choose that grace. That's on them. It's our job to go out and be the grace, to show the love, to be the love in the world. And I tell you, I think that we as a church with a big C, all the Christians in the world, especially in the United States, we are in the fight of our life with this whole idea of if you think differently than me, then you're an anathema, you're an other. We have got to be the example of how to treat people who disagree with us. Because we're all, all paid, pay, bought and paid for by the same price. And that's the blood of Jesus. Now look, when I say we're not supposed to be of the world, that doesn't mean that we shirk our duties of being in the world. We can be, uh, be in the world and vote and participate and hold office and do, you know, be teachers, live our lives. So when we say don't be of the world, that doesn't mean that you don't participate. We have to participate because we're in it, right? If we don't participate in it, how can we help make it better? So do you know the only day of the year where someone can look at you and know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Ash Wednesday. But you got to go to church first. But that's a mark. That is a physical mark on your being that somebody can look at and say, oh, they're a believer. The other 364 days of the year, you look like everybody else. So, so how will anyone know that you're a follower of Jesus? 
Jesus tells us it's by our love. And in that particular verse he's talking about, he's talking about by the way you love one another. But the truth of it is they'll know we are Christians by the way we love the people in the world around us. So how are you doing with that? Can, can people look at the way you act, the way you carry yourselves, and know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? What is the way of the world calling to you? We all hear different things. You might not hear the, some of the same things that I have heard or that I hear. But did you catch what God said? Don't let these things snare you. These things can happen without you paying attention. You know who ensnares things? Spiders. They put out a web, right? Little flies just flying around, minding his own business. All of a sudden, he is stuck. That's us. And the world is full of webs. And if we're not conscious about the choices that we make, and are they godly, can find ourselves stuck in the way of the world. So as we go out into the world, let's participate. Let's be in it. But let's also act like we are followers of the Most High God. That we are followers of a God and man that died for us. Let us act in ways that people will know that we are followers of Jesus. That's the only way we can make a difference. It's the only way people will know that you are a follower of Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God, the world calls to us in so many ways. Father, help us to discern what is your will in all things. Help us to behave like we are, in fact, followers of Jesus so that we can be a beacon of love and for grace, for all the world and for this community to experience through us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.